I spend too much of my life angry, Andy. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> There's a lot more worthy targets of your anger, especially right now. Maybe that's what I'm saying. I spend too much of my life angry at the wrong things. Oh, that's fair. That's America, though. The, or <laughs> that might be humanity. Hum- humans. Yeah. We spend too much of our time angry at the wrong things. Hi, Andy. You continue to exist. <laughs> Brown-haired niece. <laughs> Hi, Philip. Hi, and welcome to Look Good for the Boys, a horror gossip podcast. I'm Andy. I'm Philip. Yeah. Welcome back, yeah, listeners. Yeah, we are back. To... We had to take. We had to. We had to nurse our Halloween hangover. Yeah, I don't even get Halloween hangovers anymore, and it's not even just because I don't drink. You you just could like keep going. You could keep trucking. You could have done a, whole, have another done a whole another podcast yeah, right yeah, after. Totally. Like we di- could have easily November first. Yeah. Oh, so this break was for me then. Yeah, because I'm you know because you're fine. I, I well I know that not everybody has my endurance, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious because the reason we took this long of a break is because you have been sick. I've been sick, so I haven't <laughs> been able to do shit. That's funny. I almost canceled today. Really? Yeah, but I knew I couldn't. I knew I was like, uh, he's going to be so disappointed in me. You know what? That's the thing is that I wouldn't be mad. I would understand. I would send you love, respect, and healing, but I would have been disappointed. Yeah. So I said, fuck it. Let's rally. Okay. So well, thank you for rallying. I still feel terrible, but <laughs> it's fine. It's not COVID. Yeah. As far as I know. I don't know. It could be the ninja COVID. Stealth COVID. It's just, I shouldn't be saying this right no, now. No, you shouldn't. We don't need more... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but okay, so we did a lot in October, so we needed to take a break to collect ourselves because yeah, the we thing did is, like you can't watch all of the Saw movies and then have a 35th anniversary party for Night of the Demons without breaking stride and be good to keep going. No. no. You need a break. Yeah. You need some sit down time. For the good of our clients, we needed to take some time. Yeah. And it was great because we actually both got to watch some movies. Yeah, right? That we <laughs> that like weren't for the podcast. Yeah, that I don't want to talk about. Yeah. Like, I mean, I want to talk about we'll talk with about you. Them. We'll talk about them later. Yeah. At the end of the year. But like not right now. No. No. I don't want to record us talking about them. Oh, you mean oh, so it's like completely no podcast at all, right? Like, what is that like? We I mean, watch I, things that we don't talk about. Who knows? On I don't know what it's like to have a conversation without it being a podcast anymore. <laughs> it's the only time I talk to people is when it's for a podcast. By the way, if you have a podcast, book me on your podcast. I'm not doing shit, and that's the only social outlet he gets. So yeah. he, he needs you. Yeah, it's actually kind of a rule I've made for myself. That I just don't talk to people if it's not being recorded. Because what's the point? Content is the name of the game. Oh my God. Is that actually why we haven't hung out in two weeks? Yeah. I don't want to talk to you because we're not <laughs> recording. I need a break from you if it's not for the podcast. I mean, though. that's fair. I, I think that my number one problem in life is that people don't take enough breaks from me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, you know what? You said it, not me. I, I mean it. Uh, I We are going to talk about things, though, at the end of the year. Oh, horror things. I watched yeah. some non-horror movies, too, which was fucking refreshing. Wow. Yeah, what are those like? Yeah, you, right? You've forgotten, haven't you? I have. You know that people make comedies, Philip? What? <laughs> yeah, What's things that? that are just funny without any blood in them at all. What? Yeah, right? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I still think one of my biggest gripes about the genre and about like specifically the Indian amateur circuits of the genre is that not is that people only watch horror movies. They don't reach outside of genre for influence and you can tell a lot of times. Right. And I think more people need to watch non-horror movies. I, well, I do agree with you and I do try to, you know, at least insert some non-horror. Yeah. I, I don't tend to spend as much time as you do watching things specifically yeah, so because you, um look my uh, work schedule's weird. Look, and, few people do because people have lives. I don't have one of those. Well, I don't actually have that much of a life. I just spend too much I just waste too much time during the day is what it is. Like when um, I could be watching movies instead I'm scrolling through Reddit for an hour and a half being like, I can't watch something. That'll waste my whole day. Oh see, I do that too. <laughs> yeah. And I of course we we all do the thing where the what what my partner calls my favorite show, which is just endlessly scrolling Tubi. <laughs> and not picking something to watch. Yeah, there is that. We all sure. know that that's one of our biggest problems is being uh, immobilized by too much in the way of options. It's a problem. But I did, I started watching a really beautiful, good drama the other day. Hmm. And about five minutes in, I was like, getting the shakes you know i was like oh god no one's gonna get their head cut off yet uh, i gotta watch something else you just need like your computer behind the tv just playing blood feast or something on yeah. mute <laughs> too much of a cold plunge <laughs> but no what i was gonna say was that uh i i've learned that my tolerance for other genres has actually lessened yeah you know like yeah. i just like i will just say this i think the big piece of it for me is not just that my tolerance is gone. It's that like the only discourse I want to participate in anymore is horror discourse. And so I intentionally don't see things so that I don't oh, have to yeah. talk about them. You don't them. want to have to have an opinion on. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. Cause it's scary out there. It is. It's like, it's not, it's not comfortable <laughs> when you start getting outside of the genre discourse. Cause it's genre discourse. I can typically just write people off if they, if they're, if I think their take sucks mm-hmm. or also, there's that like one of us thing where it's like, ah, I might not agree with them on this, but you know, this movie's important to both of us. So we relate. Right. And I like, look, you're a Twitter user. I'm a Reddit user. And I don't yeah. know how things are on Twitter, but I would say on Reddit. Not great. Not well, great. Nazis not, are in I'm control of that place. I'm not talking about generally speaking. <laughs> I mean, specifically in the horror world, like, discussions on the horror subreddits are more like, well, I disagree. I think this about this movie and somebody else being like, no, I think this. And both people being like, huh? Okay. Valid opinion. I don't agree with you, but I respect it. And it's just like, wait, this is the internet. Who are you people? (laughs) Any other subreddit does not function like that. So I think you're right. I think think there is like a one of us element. Yeah. Cause horror, horror, it's like, we're all, you know, I don't need to say this. If you listen to any horror podcast, you've heard this said like 600 times probably, but like we're different. And and we relate to each other in our differences. Like being a horror fan can be lonely. It can be, 
not cool. So when we find community in it, it's important to us, and we're we're willing to look past some stuff. Now that's not to say there aren't shitheads. Oh, there's shitheads everywhere. But there's shitheads everywhere. We're, you're not going to get away from those. So today we are back as Andy and Philip, licensed doctors. <laughs> yes, legitimate, <laughs> credible medical mental health professionals. Yes. Who provide family therapy to those horror families in need? We have credentials. Yes. Don't ask that we to see gave them. them. I lost to them in the mail. <laughs> the holidays are coming up. Yeah. And, and those are a stressful time for, for people, mostly because of family. Mm. Horror is a stressful genre. It would only make sense that horror is full of stressful families. So we're doing the thing where we're going to go through these horror movie families and help them. Help themselves? Yes, yeah. Help them be- become a better version of themselves. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, is that we can't solve these families' problems. You know, we're not trying to fix them. We're just oh, trying to yeah, help them. Oh, yeah, we can. Oh, oh can. wow, okay. I'll, I got this. <laughs> no Let, worries. You know what? I'm. In, we'll find out today I if that holds up. Are you up. kidding? I can't talk to my own family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do this because we can't do it for ourselves. Yeah. But... We're not here to completely solve their problems. We're just here to make life a little easier for them heading into the holidays. Yeah, so yeah. So give them yeah. some tools to help them work with each other and coexist. So today's family is the Ladomas family. The Ladomas family. From 2019's Ready or Not. Ready or Not. The story of a woman who is marrying into a rich family, the Ladomas family. And finds out on the night of their wedding that there's a little family tradition that involves playing a game to satisfy a dark entity Satan. that has Satan that yeah, has it's... helped the family attain its wealth and keep its wealth for, you know, five generations. Five generations now. Yeah. So it's that's the, if you've seen it, you've seen it. They play hide and seek. The movie probably should have been called Hide and Seek. I imagine the original script for it was. Mm-hmm. But then they realized, oh, there's a Robert De Niro movie called Hide and Sh- Hide and Seek. I almost said Hide and Shriek, which is a, a different 80s movie. Slasher yeah. movie. So yeah, it's deadly hide and seek with a rich family. Yeah. So before we provide therapy for the Ladomas family, I want to just check in and do a little family inventory, a family status update. Go through who we're talking with here, who is a part <laughs> of family therapy, yeah. and kind of where they're at at this point. Yeah. Sometimes. And this is, it's funny, this is actually similar to our first family therapy of last holiday season, I think, in a lot of ways, this film and this family. You're next? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 because it's a rich family that has an outsider who, you know, upsets plans. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Okay, so to start, we have, you know, let's do generationally. The the head of the family is Tony. Tony. Yes, the father, the, the patriarch, yes. Tony Ladomas. Tony Ladomas. And where I would say he's at at this point, you know, not, like before the events of this film, is I think that he he very much takes his role as the patriarch of the family very fucking seriously. Yeah. But he's also like, I mean, Henry Cherney's performance is great. Oh, yeah. Because he does that. Like, you can see him making dad jokes, but you can also see him being this, you know, it's like a perfect balance of, like, intimidating, evil, way too serious patriarch and, 
like firm handshake and an attaboy and you know kind of there's something sympathetic about him too yeah well and there's also on that side of it on the sympathetic side there's also this resentment yeah. towards his forebears for like passing him this mantle yeah he is it is such like younger boomer dad shit i just want to be better than my father right and like it's a it's a burden it's a responsibility but it's a burden but i'm the dad so i've got to do it you know there's a lot of that like everything of what it is to be you know the ideal man cis dad straight white provider guy yeah yeah you can even see him believing his own bullshit about like he's aware of his privilege but he also does think he earned it Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely you know just by doing a better job you know right we own four sports teams now (laughs) you know speech (laughs) i love i love that whole it's one of my favorite parts of the movie where he's like Talking about the family legacy. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And gives us, it's just a lore dump, but it's, yeah, it's, this is dad taking up air. This is everybody's fucking insecure, but got to put on the game face dad. But he also, in a way, yes, he's insecure, but he loves that. Like he loves the storytelling of it. Oh, he does. Yeah. He, it's his favorite thing to do. Well, and I think it's how he's able to justify all this shit going on. Like, like he sort of sees it as this sort of, I mean, again, just like any fucking wealthy family with a name, right? You pass this along. It's like the traditions are important. The ritual is important. And the tight knit element of the family is important. Yeah. Like somebody has to be initiated in. Well, it's that, yeah. And it's that like, I'm a part of something bigger than myself, but also I'm behind the wheel of it. Yes, yes, you know? exactly. It's very it's very much like trying multiple conflicting values at once uh, and, and having to buy into them all simultaneously. So then you so, have his yeah. counterpart, his, his wife, wife, Becky. Becky, who... She's almost just the... the second wave feminist white woman version of that. Yeah. Like... Where it's, I don't know how to, it's like a girl boss kind of thing, but she's self-deprecating about it. She's like, this family's full of shit about it, you know? Mm. She's trying to be the cool mom. Well, that's the thing. She she wants to be cool and chill. She wants to be like, I know where I came from. But at the same time, she's absolutely on Tony's level with like, protect the yeah. family, protect our our resources, yeah, it all comes down to it's the family. This is who we are. Yes. This is what we've wasted our entire life. It's almost a sunken cost fallacy. Uh, I mean, like, this whole fucking our... family is sunken cost <laughs> oh fallacy. Oh my God, it really is. It really is. <laughs> Ready or not is a metaphor for gambling addiction. <laughs> <laughs> right, like they literally, they've all put so much, but especially, you know, Becky and Tony because they've been around the longest, which, yeah. and Helene, which we'll get to in a second. Okay. But- they've sunk so much into this that they have to hold on to it. You know, it becomes more important than anything. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's family. It's like, it's the natural conclusion of that, like toxic family above everything, uh, values of the fast and the furious movies. Uh (laughs) (laughs) It's fast and the furious family above everything. If it were like, I don't know, you know, an aged McAllen instead of a Corona. What I will say about Becky is that, 
again, you know, the dynasty is important to both her and Tony, but also family is really important. And, and she means that it isn't just sunk cost fallacy. It is that she does love her family. Yeah. She wants to protect her family yeah. and doing so involves, you know, adhering to these rules and these rituals. Yeah. I, I want to say in general, the Ladoma's family, they're so human. They're yes. all so fucking believable. Like everything they're doing is like it's shitty. They're awful. They're evil. It's but I think that's kind of the point of the whole film is just the like anyone can be corrupted by something like this. You know, ultra wealth. Ultra wealth is, is ultra corrupting. Is up, it, it's a it's a poison for anyone. Yeah. Like and you really do get to see like these people are super kind of, you know, they're totally unrelatable in a lot of ways. But they're, but they're per- also really relatable in their performances. Their performances and- are so naturalistic and so sympathetic and so human and layered and yeah exactly layered you you get it you get where every single one of them are coming from Mm -hmm. for the most part even in their contradictions yeah especially in their contradictions yeah yeah. it's uh it's just fascinating stuff and yeah andy mcdowell as becky is uh, get the fuck out of here right what the fuck so good (laughs) incredible at least as good as tony collette in hereditary yeah i don't want to hear any more about tony collette getting oscar snubbed in hereditary where was andy mcdowell's statue for ready or not (laughs) right well it's because she didn't have some screaming speech her speech was way way more subtle and so it doesn't get the attention it deserves but her speech to her son that's great alex yeah it's so good it's chilling yeah, because it's just like, oh, this is how we excuse this. Like, this is how these are the these are the justifications people find. But it's also, I mean, you can tell the you can see the emotional struggle with her, where she's like, mm-hmm. she's willing, she, she knows what is the number one priority yeah. tonight, and even that moment where she's like, I really like her, and then she even says to him when he's like, I'll kill you, and she's like, Well, then I'll die either way. Like yeah. she's like. <laughs> I want you to, I want you back in the fold. I miss you. You're my son. I love you. But also, this is important. Yeah. And it's just such a great speech. Yeah. So that's Becky. Then we have Aunt Helene. (sighs) Yeah. Who? (laughs) So 30 years ago, Aunt Helene got married and her husband was the one chosen to play hide and seek. And this was was the last last time time somebody picked hide and seek. And, you know, they have to play a game. That's the tradition. The wedding night, you play a game. It's a random game. The card goes in the box. Something in the box writes the name of the game on the card. Satan. Satan writes. Satan writes it. Whatever game that Satan writes on the card, you play. And then the one wrong game is hide and seek. Yeah. Well, that's the, the one, one where game that, that means requires sac- human sacrifice. Of, of the yeah. new spouse. So, Helene was the one who lost her husband 30 years ago. And it broke her. And it broke her in the most fascinating way. Right. It broke her into being the most all in on this in the family. Well, right. It's like, because it's it's that sort of like fundamentalist religious zealot who the only way that she can justify her existence and the trauma that's happened to her is to like make that her complete existence. It's her whole identity. She's the one that's really in charge of the family. Sure. Tony's the patriarch. Tony's the dad. But like Aunt Helene is the oldest and is the one that has lost the most. So in her mind, it's like, nope, this is me. I'm the one. I'm the one in charge. It's my dedication to tradition is what is keeping this family going. You know, Pick and choose. Pick and choose. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, yeah, so great. <laughs> so great. 
Uh, yeah, she's just she's she's orthodox. You yes, know? she yeah, is absolutely one hundred percent traditionalist, purist, dedicated, and yeah, sunken cost fallacy. Much again, I guess. I mean, the ultimate. Yeah, the ultimate. Cost. Yeah, because I mean, you can see in the moment at the very beginning. There's this very fast moment where you see young Helene after her husband gets caught. Yep. And is being drug away and she's like screaming and being held back and wants to stop it. And then like when she realizes that all hope is lost, you can see her just be like, just swallow it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And from then on, it's like. She just goes right into shock and stays there for the next. Forever. Yeah. And so she is a broken, broken individual. Yeah. She's, she's the one that probably most needs like true, dedicated, deep deep work yes absolutely yeah yeah this family therapy is not going to work if Aunt helene is not an individual therapy yeah no she's well. gonna have to be yeah for sure okay so that's the older generation then you have the kids tony and becky's kids oh, gosh so the oldest of whom is daniel daniel the alcoholic yep um fuck up the this this self-appointed fuck up Although they're kind of all fuck-ups. They're all fuck-ups in different ways. Yeah. He is the, like, resigned fuck-up. Yeah. Like, I just want to sit around and drink myself into a stupor. Yeah. Fuck-up. Yeah. And he, along with his brother Alex, are the only one of the, or the two of the three that were old enough to remember. Like, I think Daniel said he was six. Yeah. And Alex was maybe, what, like four? When the last hide-and-seek game happened. So they are old enough to have been traumatized by it. Yeah, and Daniel also has a personal stake in that trauma. I mean, he's the one that called everybody over. Yeah, yeah, he ratted out Helene's husband. Yeah. So yeah, so that's Daniel. Yeah. And then you have Alex. Who abandoned the family. Yeah, his response to this this whole fucked-up dynamic is to just leave. But he must have, the way that they talk about him leaving, he must have done it very dramatically. Like in a way that was just like, fuck you all. You all are monsters. Because they kept saying like, we miss you. We want you yeah, back in well, the and fold. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Becky like, wants him back in the fold. She wants him to come back. His, and her his dad, Tony is kind of like, he doesn't know what to do with him at the beginning. Right. It's sort of like, I don't know whether I should, you know, welcome you back or be shitty to you. And he kind of like chooses a middle ground. Yeah, he kind of does both. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Very, very like yeah, very classic, upper crust dad. Yeah, very classic <laughs> disconnected dad shit. Very boomer dad. Yeah. So yeah, that's Alex. Yeah. And then you have Emily. The, yeah, the party girl. The party girl. Which I'm going to guess age range. I'm going to guess she was probably born during the hunt, the first hide and seek, but like was maybe still in diapers or like not old enough to remember it. She was yeah. probably like in a, a crib. Yeah. Um, but she has chosen to deal with her family's craziness by just like, oh, she just lives every off the drug money ever. and yeah. Yeah. She just does drugs and jet sets around. That's and- right. When her and her husband are the family, they're coming back from London. Yeah. They're and they arrive late. Yeah. And you never. Because they won't fly commercial. Because they won't fly commercial. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Well, that brings us to their the, the siblings' spouses, which is Daniel, the oldest, is married to Charity. Who he calls a money grubbing whore, right? Is that what he calls yeah, gold, her? I think gold digging, gold digging whore. whore. Yeah. I mean, she's a full on psychopath. Yes. Like, she's fully into this. And then Emily's husband, Fitch, who is maybe. 
in turns the most alienating and most relatable character in the movie to me in some ways. <laughs> really? Like, okay. Just the like, oh God, this guy like really wants to be Tony. He grew up in these circles. He's a rich kid. But he never quite had any of the tools he needed to get to that level. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, I mean, like no social graces, no charisma, no confidence. You know, he's just like, he's just all of the insecurity that comes with this kind of privilege. Yes. Just on full display and wants so badly to be someone like Tony or Alex, but. But can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, and there, it's funny, the, the siblings' spouses are almost more dedicated to the family shit than the siblings themselves. Oh, absolutely. Like, and I think we'll get into that in the, in our therapy session is that like <laughs> yeah. the, the in-laws have more to lose. You know, they had to buy into it in order to be a part of the family. Whereas like the siblings, I think all of their behaviors are the results of being born into this and not, not asking for it. Yeah. And it's all, let's be clear. None of that has anything to do almost with the fact that this family's power and money comes from Satan and involves human (laughs) sacrifice. Like you don't even need that. Like nobody's hands are clean if they're that wealthy. Right. So finally, we don't need to really talk about them, but we need to just acknowledge that Fitch and Emily do have two kids. Oh, yeah, Georgie and... They never say the other's name, but I'm pretty sure it's Gabe. Okay, yeah, I that might makes be wrong. sense. Uh, so yeah, they have two younger kids. Yeah. So that's the actual family. Yes. The Ladomas. Let me ask you a question, Philip. Do the help count? <laughs> No. It's a question that's asked multiple times in the movie. <laughs> Why do you keep asking that? No. The help don't count. I love that. That's so fun. We might bring up Grace later, but she's not really going to be a part of this family therapy because the movie begins with her marriage into the family. Yeah. And I think that her effects on certain family members are important to acknowledge, but her herself is not relevant to the therapy. Yeah. She hasn't been around well, long enough. Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, the way this family is, they're not... Grace has not played a hand in any of that. Right, so exactly. she's not to answer for it. I have... We'll put a pin in that. I have another I have another little twist on that, I think. Okay. But the the help, you know, uh, what... What are their names? There's, like, Dora and Claire and... Clara, Dora, and Tina. And then what's the butler's name? Stevens. Stevens. I mean, they probably view themselves in a way as like part of the family because they're dedicated. I mean, they're class traders. Like that's their point in the, in the central metaphor here is that they are all class traders that are trying to sell out their own strata to continue to be in the good graces of these awful people. But yeah, the family definitely does not consider them to count as family. Well, I mean, they kill two of them. <laughs> they kill two of them. Yeah. And, you know, the, the most upset they get about it is be like, oh, she was my favorite. Yeah, well, and it's, and specifically that's Fitch who says that. So and th- Tony. Does Tony say Yeah, because like Fitch echoes. Tony first says it when Emily shoots her, uh, I think it's uh, 
Emily shoots Clara, maybe? Yeah, Clara Clara goes first. Okay, so when Emily shoots her, Tony says, oh, she was my favorite. And then when later Fitch finds out that Clara dies, he goes, oh, she was my favorite. Oh, okay. So, all right. So it's not just Fitch. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he's just trying. That's him just trying to be more like Tony. Right? Yeah. yeah. He's just he's just echoing Tony. Yeah. Uh, so, no, we're not. They don't get to come to therapy. No. No. No, they should probably have their own kind of therapy. But before we can provide therapy to the Ladomas family, we need to discuss the big horned goat in the room. <laughs> the, the, big, the big guy sitting at the table by the fireplace? Uh, we need to discuss the LaBelle dilemma. So LaBelle is... Yeah, I mean, he's a metaphor for, you know, the evil that you must be complicit in to get this kind of wealth. Right. In the class read on this. But... but He's also just a toxic family member. Right. No, I. that's my point. My point He's is that... He's the true patriarch? Yes. And my point is that every one of these family members are in an abusive relationship with Mr. LaBelle. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's... I mean, he's fucking grandpa in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Like, he's just... Grandpa he's, Satan, sitting yeah, at the head of the table. Sitting at the head of the table, demanding human sacrifice. Yep. I like this take. I have a, another take. Okay. On what I think the problem with this with this situation is. But I think your take is actually more like get, getting to the root of things. Mine is very much a I don't know if we can I don't know if family therapy will work in this scenario. I think we, this might actually be a couples counseling thing where we just got to get Grace and Alex away from that family and talk about what is going on with them. And my advice to them is just don't get married. I mean, because... well, that's where we should start. <laughs> when when he knew Grace really wanted to get married and was worried she would leave him if they didn't get married, he should be like, well, there's something you should know about getting married if you're a Ladomas. See, that's the problem. Yeah, right there. Is that he was afraid she would leave him if he communicated that to her. Right. And that's what we have here is like, look, communication is key. If you're serious about being in a relationship with his partner for the long haul, and if you're serious about that being something that you are dedicated to enough that like you would rather marry them and let them leave you, then you need to have that faith in them. Right. The thing is, is that for any relationship to work, you have to share your demons, even if they're not just yours, like your like generational trauma, your family's skeletons in their closets, your family's satanic pact. You need to share those things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? and, if she, and if you're afraid of her leaving... I mean, that's a genuine fear. Of course. That's valid. That's yes. that's terrifying. But like communicating <laughs> comes before marriage with that secret, you know? Right. Like that's just, that's just the decision you have to make. You made the wrong decision at that point, Alex. I mean, personally, my other argument is that this is why marriage is not a thing for me. Like... Because you don't want to get involved in a family that has a satanic. It's it's not even agreement. so much about getting involved <laughs> in the family as much as it is bringing that family into your relationship. This is my issue with marriage. It's not even the family, honestly. I think Mr. LaBelle is actually not a metaphor for capitalism or a patriarch. I think he's a metaphor for the government being involved in your fucking relationship the minute you get married. <laughs> This is my whole thing about marriage. It's the it's it's the step in a marriage. If you get married to someone, then if something goes wrong and you decide like, okay, well, we're gonna part. Oh my god, forget about it. Now you got lawyers, right? Like, yeah, 
marriage is so unsexy to me. The whole thing sounds like just paperwork and taxes. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that's, I don't, anyway, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to go off on my whole anti-marriage rant here, but. But, okay. So, yes, of course, (laughs) Alex and Grace need to talk. But the thing is, we're not doing couples therapy. We're doing family therapy. Yeah, and the yeah. thing about this family is, again, they're in an abusive relationship with Mr. LaBelle. And so we need to address how are we going to move forward with this family with Mr. LaBelle present? Like, do we, is there a way to renegotiate <laughs> can we just terms? Can get him out? <laughs> yeah. Can we, can you get rid of Satan? Yeah. The thing about this whole pact is that it's, it's explicitly made by Tony's great-grandfather, so yeah. Tony's generation four, the kids are generation five removed from this yeah. original pact. And yes, of course, they are reaping the benefits and, uh, and enjoying the benefits. But at some point, like this pact has to expire, right? Like they can't just. I don't think so. I mean, I think I really do think that the whole problem was Victor Ladomas just really didn't have negotiating skills. Yeah. yeah as, didn't as Tony consult says, a lawyer. And so this is like an eternal pack. He just got a really bad deal. And it's a sins of the father situation. It really is. But by generation five, I mean, you also have to imagine that at generation five, and they kind of allude <laughs> to this, that a lot of families have split off from the central patriarch. And so, you know, what is this just going to go on forever until basically like half the world are a part of this devil's pack? Well, this is what I'm talking about is that I think that like, yeah, exa- who's yeah, how many people are going to get involved in this? You right. know, if this family keeps expanding. I think maybe that's kind of the thing is that there's sort of a poison pill baked into the whole situation. Yes. You know, when you're a when you're a Mr. LaBelle and you're making these kinds of agreements, like I I still don't understand how the human sacrifice works as currency. You know, like is it a souls thing? Is it a power thing? Like what does LaBelle, who is Satan, get out of this? Well, my theory is that <laughs> if you look at the... And we don't know much about Helene's husband other than she loved him. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the spouses that we've seen, I mean, not not necessarily Tony and Becky, but like the kids' spouses, that it seems... I, su- I suggest, my theory is that it seems like Mr. LaBelle picks people to play hide-and-seek that he doesn't think will be brought into the fold. Oh, people that are going to disrupt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we definitely see that Grace was going to disrupt things, Mm -hmm. which is why Becky liked her. Right. And it's why Alex liked her. But maybe that's the thing, is that the the actual love is the problem. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think Emily loves Fitch, or that Fitch loves Emily. And Daniel... Daniel and Charity, clearly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they say it basically. Yeah, yeah. again, that's Daniel marriage, says to marriage, his wife, man, "You don't you, have a soul." Marriage will get you stuck <laughs> with someone who doesn't have a soul, right? Is what it'll do, and that's the thing. Is it's like you can't have actual love entering into this family, and that is a self-destructive tendency. So LaBelle has to know when he makes a deal with a family like this. There's probably only five generations left in that family. Because it's going to get to a point where they're going to stop finding people and they're going to stop having kids. Right. Or they fail. Yeah. Or they, exa- or they fuck up. Which is what yeah. happens. So, I mean, you know, I don't want to turn this into a business advice segment as opposed to family therapy. But like, LaBelle, <laughs> what you want is for this relationship to be mutually beneficial. 
so that this family can continue providing you with whatever it is that you get out of human sacrifices. Well, at the same time, like, you know, feeling like an actual family. If he just, he needs to come to the table, I guess is what I'm trying to say, to renegotiate in good faith. Yeah. Because it's not good for him. This is, we almost need a labor action. <laughs> on, on, right? I hate to say it, on behalf of these ultra wealthy assholes. On behalf of these owners of the means of production, <laughs> we need a labor action. But it's, yeah, like, because he struck a deal that's, yeah, it's bad for the Ladomas family, but it's just as bad for him because he's going to have to go and find a new family to do this Right. With. I mean, at this point, at the conclusion of this movie, spoiler alert, is that deal's done. Yeah. You know, and so if he wants to keep this going, you're right. He does need to yeah. renegotiate. Like, I get that you're Satan. But you don't have to be a shitty boss, too. Right? Like, yeah. yeah. You don't have to be a monster about it. Yeah, you know? when is enough enough Satan? Yeah, come on, Satan. <laughs> have a heart. <laughs> so in this renegotiation, what are we talking about? Like, Well, I mean, see, that's that's when you got to get the lawyers involved, because I'm not... Okay, look, so we're I not am going a licensed down that road. therapist, but I, no, I'm not a licensed therapist either. <laughs> Excuse me. We are licensed horror movie character therapists. Oh, yeah, for sure. You, you know? want to see my credentials? <laughs> I got it from a college that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but okay, okay. So we'll set LaBelle aside, but yeah. the, with the assumption that the contract with him is being renegotiated. Yeah. So let's do therapy. Here's, here's my very first thing, is that I don't want Charity and Fitch to be a part of therapy. I think step one of our therapy, because we're going to be a little different than most family therapists in that, like, you know, they try to keep the family as a whole. We're going to start this therapy being like, Emily, Daniel, you need divorces. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. For sure they do. Yeah. They, their their relationships are not like it because we have to do couples counseling for them, too, now. And and that's what it is. It's just you have to. This is this is not. Well, there's no saving Daniel and Charity for sure. No. And Fitch and Emily I mean, I get the idea there might be something there, because you know, I don't know why else. I think that I think that she is attracted to Fitch because he just enables her shitty behavior. He's not threatening. Yeah, yeah he can't. He's challenge not call her. her out. Yeah, and if he is, it's going to be in a way she's familiar with him. Because also, because this is a guy who's so desperate to impress her father, he's never going to hurt her. Right. Because that will be the end of him and her father's relationship. So, like, he is so safe in so many ways. But also, yeah, so enabling of her most toxic behavior. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Fitch has to go. Yeah, Fitch is gone. Charity's gone. And, and I'm going to say this. I don't know about Charity, but Fitch, Fitch, you also need some therapy of your own. So like, does Charity. Well, I, my issue with Charity is that she might be too far gone. <laughs> she might be I too. I have a very specific thing about Charity. She says, like, you don't know where I came from, you know, as if to be like, she came from such destitution and extreme poverty that, like, she'll never go back to it. But she doesn't but, say, I'll never go back to it. I won't lose this. But also, let's let's look at the facts. No matter what she came from, she is a beautiful white woman. Who's going to be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? We will give her a like very generous alimony package. The Lodomas can afford it. Yeah, But I also think she's lying. Or yeah, I think well, she's, what, yeah, she's overplaying like, her, her upbringing because I have never met a person who actually came from poverty who would be like, who would say, I can't lose all this. You know what I mean? Like... 
that's the thing about poverty. It makes you used to shit. Right. Like it, it makes you grateful for certain things. And she is not grateful for anything. She is very clearly like she she will not lose this ultra wealth. Well, it's it's kind of like this is this might be offensive. But like it it, it just it strikes me as the kind of person who grew up in like a somewhat troubled family, but still had all her needs met. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and so like she saw the the troubled elements of the family as being an indicative of like that. Oh, you know, like maybe maybe they were struggling like middle class, right? But like yeah. she saw that once she, especially once she got exposed to the Lodomas as being like, oh, we were poor. No, like she probably just, you know, had two parents who worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Well, and whatever other problems were going on in her family life, which there definitely were some, that was probably ascribed to a class thing for her, too. Like, she was probably friends with more rich people, which is, again, how she would probably get involved with right, Daniel like, Ladomas in the yeah, first place. Yes, yeah. Like, maybe her parents, like, worked their asses off to send her to a nice school so she could get a good education, so she could do better for herself. And all that taught her was yeah. that, oh, my parents are poor. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My parents are getting a divorce. It must be because they're not as rich as all of my peers. Right. And, yeah. and so like, there's obviously a lot of like resentment towards, yeah. you know, everything. Yeah. I had a pony and then I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very much. She's like very much. Full of shit when it comes to that. Yeah. So look, we're again just give her generous alimony and usher her out yeah. the door. But also, Fitch, we gotta. He's slapping himself at one point. He's like committing self harm, going, "Don't be a bitch, Fitch. Don't be a bitch. You're a bitch." You know. And it's like, oh boy, <laughs> you you gotta talk to someone about this, my man. <laughs> this is fucked up. This is not good. Believe well, me, I know. I, I mean, I, I bet the Lodomus, being a part of the Lodomus dynasty, dominion, the yeah, Lodomus the dominion, dominion yeah. <laughs> I bet that has brought a lot of his worst instincts out in him. Oh, for you sure. Know? It just amplifies all. So him and Emily splitting up would be good for him as well. Absolutely. Because he would no longer be around that element. And maybe if he gets away from that for a while, can work on where that comes from. And so, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna separate that situation. Yeah. So yeah, you know what? No in laws. Yeah. So they're gone. So we just coupled counsel that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, couples counsel them right out of the family. I, I love how our family therapy just starts with you get a divorce, you, <laughs> you get, get a, a divorce. divorce. <laughs> so now we're left with the core Lodomus. Yeah. There's another thorn in the... I mean, well, there's a lot of thorns they in the Lodomus asides, of, yeah. but the, the biggest one that we next need to address, I feel like, is on Helene. Yeah, so grief counseling for sure. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Maybe a, maybe she can audit a death and dying class at the local community college. I, I, I don't know. I just have this vision in my head for on Helene that like she needs to be at some sort of retreat on a Hawaiian island... Semi-permanently. Let's get her into a poetry class or something. <laughs> let's get her like, yeah, definitely like some kind of, She look, she has the money for it. Yeah. Get her a vacation. That uh, lasts like more than a year. Yeah. Like yeah. she needs a sabbatical. Yeah. Because the thing is, is that you can't really charge her with having any, uh, any sway in the family dynamics outside of, you know, the game hide and seek. 
because she's too angry and bitter. The entire up until oh, the game starts, she's just in a corner. Yeah, and she exactly. <laughs> she's she's just like waiting for her time. Yeah, she's like waiting for the alarm to go off so that it's she can clock in. You know, and <laughs> and boy does she, and boy does she, and I respect that. You know, maybe we need to get her a job somewhere. <laughs> maybe that is on Helene's problem: is that she needs a job. She just, yeah, she just <laughs> needs something to do. Right. We get to channel it, and I honestly, I was going to recommend creative outlet stuff, uh, which I do think is something that would be healthy for her. And honestly, I think she could be good at a creative endeavor mm-hmm. i mean look at the way uh, she dresses yeah oh my god get get out of here don't tell me that a woman who with that eyeliner and that hair <laughs> doesn't have some sort of art in her right <laughs> like yes she can definitely do something i don't know if it's pottery or macrame or painting or i don't know hip-hop dancing get her in something but i also think she needs to feel valuable like she needs to feel part of something bigger than herself, whether it's volunteering at like, I don't know, a, an animal shelter or. I mean, maybe. OK, I'm just throwing this out there. I know we're not going to be a part of the renegotiation, right? Like that's no. not our thing. But that said, maybe in the interest of therapy for Helene, maybe her going off on Satan's behalf and proselytizing like maybe we sent her do, to do missionary work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. See, I think that that's just going to get her in trouble. You know what? You're right. You're right. That's doubling that's just, down. Yeah, on. I feel like that's. You know, like I don't want to judge, but I feel like you know when you get somebody out of a cult, you don't want to send them to a church. <laughs> if you take like a gambling addict, for example, and and they're in recovery, right? You don't send them to a casino. I feel like, yeah, anything involved in satanic missionary work is You're just right. going to get Elaine in trouble instinct. again. <laughs> this is why we're coming um, up with a therapy plan ahead of time. Plus, plus, until they work out that contract with Mr. LaBelle, I don't want anybody doing his work for him. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, ab- yeah, that's absolutely. Like, she, that's like coming in on a Saturday for her. We can't, <laughs> no, you got you to gotta stand in solidarity. Don't cross that. Don't scab for crying out loud. Okay, so what kind of work would benefit Helene. I don't know. I've got it. She needs to be the foreman on a like Habitat for Humanity project. Oh yeah, house you know? building for sure. Cuz she also yeah. needs to be in a in a position of like authority of some kind. She needs to be the boss. Yeah, I feel like we need to give her some kind of yeah, responsibility you know, management mm-hmm. related thing. I mean, I feel like she should be part of a management team. Maybe not necessarily. Yeah, she, she cannot have, be on her own. Yeah, I, I think you need somebody that's going to have a complimentary style <laughs> with right. people. Yes. So yeah, I think I think we do that for her. We get her into some grief counseling. We maybe have her explore a creative outlet at some point. Definitely away from the family. Mm-hmm. So really, then family therapy is just for Tony, Becky, and the kids. Yeah, and again. You work things out with LaBelle, get rid of this hide-and-seek shit. You know, maybe we don't have a problem. Okay, that would solve a lot of future problems, but we still need to address the past problems because you have three kids. Oh, yeah, the the healing must begin somewhere. And so part of that is that Tony and Becky need to acknowledge their role in, you know, raising three kids in this environment. Yeah, they definitely and haven't. They haven't. They All they've done, essentially, I mean, I do believe that they, they have 
helped their kids, but they still have this, when it comes to the issue of, you know, having a pact with Satan, it's been just this suck it up kind of mentality. Well, also, we don't know how much of this, you know, how much wiggle room there is in some of these things. I mean, even Alex himself was like, I didn't know. I didn't believe it. You you hear stories, you believe it enough to know you can't get married and escape it. <laughs> like, you also get the feeling that LaBelle has this deal with other families. Because that they know about. That they know about. Yeah. So... And honestly, I mean, the evidence that they give <laughs> that like literally anybody who has done anything against these rules has died yeah. is pretty compelling Which, evidence. Which again brings me back to the like, you should have just told her, Alex. Right. I mean, you should have just told her about this. If I was like, in love with somebody and they told me that, I'd be like, yeah, I I, I would question. I, I might I might walk away. But if I didn't, I'd be like, it's, we don't have to get married. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like. You just say, look, we I, I get that you want that and I get that you want this, but like here's here's why I'm not comfortable with my family. And here's why I'm trying to get away from my family. And also, you know, here's why I'm reluctant to get married, but we could maybe start our own family. Mm-hmm. You know, if family and, is what you want. Oh my god, here is what you take to the fucking negotiating table with Mr. LaBelle is you say, okay. You know, here we have to do this for you every time we get married. So we're no longer getting married, but we are still going to come up with contracts that protect the people that we're choosing to live our lives with. Yeah. You know, and all but name, they will be a part of the family, but we're not getting married. So that technically voids your contract. So maybe you'd like to renegotiate, Mr. Yeah. LaBelle. Again, we got to see how receptive Satan is going to be to this. But as far as the core five go, Becky, Tony, Alex, Daniel, and Emily. I think that there just needs to be a lot more communication between the five of them. I think that Tony and Becky need to sit down and own the environment that they brought these kids up in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and and I don't, God forbid, apologize. Yeah, I mean. Be like, I know this wasn't our choice, but also we're sorry that, you know, you have to do this. Well, at no point does Tony ever acknowledge to his kids that he clearly you know, thinks of his fuck-ups. Like, he never corrects them when they say that. Right. Uh, but he never, like, yeah, he never acknowledges, it was hard on you. I know that because it was hard on me. You know? He's afraid of that. He's afraid of being that vulnerable, admitting, like, hey, this was hard for me growing up, too, in this family. Well... And this is how I've reacted to it. And this is very, very boomer, where he just lets... He, he thinks that's Becky's role. It's Becky's yeah, job yeah. to, you know, and Becky, be a, you know, a, a parent. And un- Becky's like, I've, I, I was depressed once, and I read a book about it, and now I'm not <laughs> depressed anymore. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. And, and Becky does try. She is very loving of her children, but ultimately, both of them are just from a generation of like, well, we don't talk about it. Yeah. And you need to talk about yeah, it. You need it's... to talk about your pact with Satan and the effects it has on your family. <laughs> yeah. Find at the very least, find a way to walk away from it. You know, yeah. Like you're gonna sure you're gonna miss some of the conveniences, but like here's the thing: the class read on this film, they have to fear that they're going to die if they don't kill her, because if they don't, they wouldn't kill her. Right. Right. Like that's the whole thing. Is that like the believable motivation? But it would almost be the class read of it would almost be more accurate if that wasn't a thing at all. <laughs> Because, I mean, yeah. Because the truth of it is, 
is that if the rich just gave up such a small percentage of their convenience and wealth, it would make things so immeasurably better in general, with very little consequence outside of inconvenience to them. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if the rich just gave up the amount of money that they wouldn't notice, the world <laughs> would, would be, be just so fine. much better. We, everybody would yeah. be fine. Yeah. Which is insane. It really is. And the point would hit harder and sharper because the, the idea is that rich people perceive inconvenience as tragedy, right? They, right. That's what, when you are privileged, you read a lack of privilege as oppression. It's that thing. So like, if they thought they were going to die and then nothing fucking happened to them, it would be more of like, well, this is reality. I mean, that would also give us a much less sympathetic version of the Lodomas <laughs> that I wouldn't want to help. <laughs> but yeah. I do want to help yeah. these, these Lodomases. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, Becky and Tony need to open up. Yeah, they need to not be afraid of being vulnerable right. with their kids. And you know what? Honestly, okay, here's a really fucking telling moment. Because I do feel like, as the matriarch, you get a lot of interesting matriarchal decisions that Becky makes that are very telling of who she is in this family. And a lot of them present a very layered view of somebody who is like, I will do anything to protect my family, but also I'm soft, but I will also murder. And I think here's the telling point is that there's that moment, you get it very briefly, and I wish we had more of this scene where she's sitting down right before the ceremony and she's telling the two kids, Emily's and Fitch's two kids. Uh, yeah. And she's like, our family has a friend, Mr. LaBelle. And it's like the way that she's saying that, it's like she's about to tell them a bedtime story. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's you. That's not how you should present this. No wonder <laughs> your kids are fucked up. Yeah. Like you're presenting you this. You it. Yeah, yeah. Like you're presenting this human sacrifice that children are about to participate in, in like this like way of just like, here's a fun thing we're going to do together. Yeah. You know, like, no, no, you need to be like, if you really believe and as they do, that they have to do this. They have no choice. They're going to die if they don't. Then you, like, the first words out of your fucking mouth shouldn't be like, our family has a friend. It should be like, I am so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I am so sorry for what I'm about to tell you and the reality behind all of it. Right. It's almost like that feels like a a read on that parenting style, you know, of like, make everything a game. (laughs) Because <laughs> they're a game family. Yeah, you know? they don't even, know any better. Even when Tony's like fucking gets abusive with Daniel and throws him up against the wall, he's like, do you think this is a fucking game? And he's like, yes, yes. hide and seek, hide remember? Hide and seek, remember? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a game. My whole life is a game, dad. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly probably how they were all raised, which is why they yeah. don't take anything seriously. And because if they were to take it seriously, it would break their brains. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, you don't really have a lot of choice there. No. So then with Alex, Daniel, and Emily, does Emily need rehab? Probably. She, <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, she needs yeah. She needs at least 28 days. Yeah, somewhere. I mean, I don't want to judge uh, people for using drugs, obviously. No, but she's not using them just casually. No, this is, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure, because at one, like, we, we see her do cocaine multiple times. And then we also see her pop pills. And then her husband talks about getting her an edible. And the pills, I'm going to just assume, those, those aren't uppers, you know? And so, like, basically, yeah, she, not. like, her poor heart. Oh, she's, I mean, she's going to be dead by 50 for sure. Easily. If not sooner. And she's like, because she doesn't, you don't get the idea that she's like, you know, super club kid socialite, you know? She's just ab- abusing, and she's abusing them. 
I could say I don't judge people for using drugs, you know. Obviously, like, I, <laughs> I don't think all drugs are created equal. But, like, I don't even judge people for using certain hard drugs. But, like, her drug use has a body count. Like, she's literally killed two people. Right. <laughs> like, and, I mean, and, nearly and, killed more when she comes into the hallway firing wildly. And, and I understand that cocaine didn't put the weapon in her hand <laughs> or put those people in front of her. But I think you could argue she might, at least one of them might still be alive had she not just done a fucking major line of coke off her arm. On top of, I'm assuming, multiple downers. Yeah, and and alcohol. And alcohol, <laughs> which is also a downer. So yeah. she is... I mean, and that's all self-medicating because of the fucked up situation she's being put in, for sure. But like, mm. I don't know. Either put down the gun or the cocaine. Yeah, right. I mean, that should be on a poster. That's not just for Emily. <laughs> like, I don't want to judge either separately, but if you're putting guns and cocaine together, right. this is when we have to have nope, a conversation. No good things can happen from yeah. that combo. Yeah. So this is pre-family therapy. Yeah. Emily goes to a program. Yeah. Does yeah. Daniel... I, I, I think, think if you remove charity, I think Daniel would I actually think, probably... Yeah, I think Daniel might be one of those guys that if he's just not around his family and not around charity anymore, he might like one day wake up with too bad a hangover and just decide to go for a hike and then discover and then okay. he really likes hiking and yeah, and then maybe not drink anymore yeah. and then possibly you know start listening to baseball on his hikes and get really into baseball, maybe jigsaw puzzles. Is this you? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Okay. I do think that under the right circumstances, Daniel can, Daniel's going to beat alcohol without it being another thing. Okay. So 28 days after we sent Emily to her program, we all get, we get this family together. Yeah. We sit them all down. I think, you know, we talked to Becky and Tony about being more open and vulnerable <laughs> with their kids, about being more honest about the environment they raise their kids in. <laughs> yeah. And we also give the kids space to talk about what that was like. Yeah. You know what? Let Alex tell his story about why he ran away. I want to hear it from him in a safe, yeah, look, supportive environment, and I want his family to hear that. If you can't get away from capitalism, you have to learn to live in capitalism. Yeah. So if you can't get rid of the LaBelle scenario and you can't rearrange that contract, at the very least, we should be having conversations open about the damage that has been done. And let's acknowledge, those are hard conversations. Yeah. Like, late-stage capitalism conversations are hard conversations to have, but we have to have them. Oh, yeah, because we're in it, baby. Yeah, yeah. Until we find a way to tear this system down, we have to talk about the fact that we're in this system. Dual power. On, anyway. the, on the way to Target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a real interesting way to make the, make the Ladomas family victims of capitalism. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're the one who framed Satan as a metaphor for capitalism in this movie. He's also a metaphor for marriage itself. Right. Don't get me wrong. So basically, we just need to tear down society and then the Lodomuses yeah, will be fine. Well, I mean, we Lodomuses might need to be torn down too, honestly. <laughs> they might need to be guillotined if we're being completely honest. Okay, but we're therapists. We don't guillotine our clients. I mean, sometimes. <laughs> You know what they also need, though, now that we say this, what they need is they need that kind of like work therapy. Like all five of them need oh. to be doing some like 
serious yes. volunteer work. Yes. Some getting into and not just not just cutting a check to a charity. No, or, an NGO. or like picking out like, trash on the side of the road. No, yeah. like we're not talking about that. We're talking about like sending them to places that need hands on the ground help. Not yeah. like I'm not talking white savior shit. I'm talking like let them see how other people live and yeah. experience what lives are like outside of their gilded yeah, walls. We just need to get a trading places situation going on with them. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. Or uh, Dutch. We need Ed O'Neill to come in and kidnap one of them. <laughs> Take him on a Thanksgiving road trip. I mean, all five of them separately? I mean, you can you just only you can only Dutch one of them. <laughs> okay. We Dutch one uh, we home alone another, uh-huh. and we uh, oh Christmas Carol. Okay, we got a Christmas Carol. Tony send some send some ghosts to him. Okay, but that only covers three of the five. Yeah, How the others I- will work themselves out. You really only got to reach three people for the rest of the family <laughs> to kind of like fall like. Well, dominoes. I feel like if if Tony got Christmas Caroled, Becky would probably be along for the ride. Yeah. You know, like I think that she would actually. Oh, she's support. part of that. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. would well, and she would support his new journey into like being a better person. And then I also feel like Alex, Grace is kind of the lesson for him. Like, I feel like he could have been on his way. Yeah, I think Alex's arc in this film is so fascinating to me for so many reasons. I don't think it's entirely earned, but the turnaround being literally on that, like, if I can't have you, no one can thing is very interesting. Yeah, because he really is like, no, I'm about it. I'm gonna stop it. I'm gonna be the one to break the cycle. I'm gonna fix it until his mother dies, which is okay. And I brother, mother and brother, yeah, mother and it's brother. The two. Yeah, but his brother died to protect. He doesn't know this, I don't think. But Daniel dies specifically trying to save Grace. But I really get the sense that it's it's not necessarily how they died; it's the fact that they died. Yeah, because it suddenly makes it not matter anymore. Right, because they are the only two people in the family he really cares about. Yeah, yeah. And the only two people that he felt had his back and protected him, you know? Yeah. And and so I think, yeah, he broke a little bit. And so when he sees them dead and then he realizes that, like, it doesn't matter anyway. If he saves Grace or not, she's not going to be with him. Mm-hmm. His relationship is over. The thing that he feared to begin with the reason he didn't tell her about this in the first place has now come true. And he has nothing to fall back on. And so on. he's got nothing. Yeah. So fuck it, why not? Like, right. yeah, if you've got nothing, go Satan. It's such an interesting thing because it's not a like I give up. It's a like, it's almost like he becomes his father <laughs> in that moment, you know? Yeah. He well, suddenly he, buys he's into back the into a corner. He has yeah. nowhere else to go. Yeah. And, and his and instinct I mean, is to do harm. Well, but I feel like that's how people can work is like you have these like these influences in your lives that shape you. Right. And they can sometimes be conflicting. Mm -hmm. And when you have a series of traumatic events, especially on one fucking night, take, you know, take away all those good pieces from you, you know, and like push you into this space where all you have left is the worst instincts that were like bred into you. That's that's where he falls. Yeah. You know, and I guess. I'm not trying to defend Alex's behavior. I'm more saying I understand. 
I mean, I think I understand because it's sort of hinted at in the fact that he wouldn't communicate to her to begin with. Right. And that he still brought that, her like, home. And... Yeah. That this is where his priorities lie. Like, and that this is how he would react in this extreme of a situation. Right. But I still believe in them as a couple. <laughs> I, though that, I mean, that was my up point. Until, up until he makes that decision. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I feel like before the events of this evening... I think that over time, because people don't fucking change overnight yeah, and they have only been together 18 months, give them some years. And I think that she would help him get over some of those Tony instincts, some yeah. of those Lodomus instincts and more bring out the more nurturing side of him, the more loving yeah. side of him. I think he has potential. He just, you know, comes from a shitty situation and shitty yeah. family. Okay, so let me get this straight. I'm just going over our therapy notes here with our clients. Mm. So... Emily goes to rehab for 28 days. While Daniel and Charity split up. Like, I think Tony, yeah. Tony's busy getting Christmas caroled. Yeah. (laughs) Tony's getting Christmas (laughs) caroled. Or it's a wonderful life, whichever. Pick a Christmas miracle to happen. But but wouldn't it be the reverse? It's a wonderful life? Like, this is how much better the world would be if you didn't exist? (laughs) (laughs) So while Emily's in rehab, Tony's getting Christmas caroled. Becky's along for the ride with Tony. We're Daniel's giving, hiking and Daniel's not drinking and, and listening drinking. to the baseball games and doing jigsaw puzzles. And we're giving Alex extra time with Grace where marriage is not allowed to be on the table. Yeah. And then we bring them all together yeah. to have some serious conversations. Yeah. We, we fixed it. Well, yeah. I mean, we still need to negotiate with whatever Satan. Whatever the LaBelle <laughs> thing is. I mean, again, whatever Satan's deal is. <laughs> but like... I feel I feel like we're creating a stronger environment yeah. in which to. I mean, if you can't you know, get out of the pact with the devil, that's not on you. That's Victor's fault, right? You know, it's so unfair. That's not yeah. The it's sins exactly. of our fathers. You can't you help know? it. Yeah, but you got to figure out a way to deal with this, right? And I I, I also think a lot of it's going to involve giving up a lot of your money, <laughs> like, as they should. Put that yeah exactly like. Start doing, I mean, I said earlier, you can't just be cutting checks to organizations, but still you should be cutting checks to organizations. Right. In addition to the like, you know, trading places kind of shit we're going to do. Yeah. Maybe back some like anti-Satan politicians. Not like anti-capitalist is what I mean. Politicians. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. I I think we fixed them. Yeah. Yeah. Just practice conscious capitalism, Ladoma's family. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's going to get us out of this problem. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You mean conscious Satanism. <laughs> conscious Satanism. Uh, I do think it's funny that they all knew the words for the ritual, despite never have, most of them never having done it before. Well, yeah. I will point out, Alex makes a joke about this, but I think there's a seriousness in the joke about sacrificing goats. And I think that that's, oh, that's something right. the family they does. They do do the sacrificing goats. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about and that. And so they probably... I mean... Ma- Maybe they do the sacrificing goats as like ritual prep. So every year, just in case, hide and seek gets drawn at the next that wedding. It does make it seem a little less like a, oh, my family has this quirk. Like, because you get to that part of explaining that to your partner, right? Like, it's one thing to be like, look, I don't know if we should get married. My family's kind of crazy. They think that like there's this whole ritual thing. And if you pick hide and seek as a game, they're going to sacrifice you to the devil. Um, so maybe we shouldn't get married. And then, like, do you leave out the part where it was like, where she's like, oh, that can't be serious. Do you then go, oh, no, this is how serious they were, is that I had to sacrifice goats as a child. I mean, I... 
I can understand is, being afraid she'd leave. Yeah. That That's why you communicate this in multiple sessions. <laughs> It's not a. It's not an info dump. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's not an info dump. But you also have to be like, uh, full disclosure. I'm not going to give you all of the details right now. Some of these things I do not think I can trust you with yet. But I need to make sure you're okay with the first wave first. <laughs> like, like how well do you receive this part? And then we might get into the fact that no, I have actually sacrificed goats. Yeah, that's not. That's not step one. Yeah. No. Yeah, you definitely save that. <laughs> All right. Is there any unfinished business with the Ladomas family? Uh, nope. We fixed it. Yep. That's that. They're good. Yeah. They're not going to have any problems ever again. <laughs> <laughs> like I said at the top of this episode, we are not here to take away all their problems. We're just here to make their lives easier and give them the tools that they need to deal with their problems down the road. Yeah. And I feel like if they go with our plan, that they will be in a better position to renegotiate with Satan. Do you think we should... Like, keep the thread of being popped open once they get to the family therapy sessions where they're like, you know, because after we've taken all this time, we're working on them individually and then we bring them back together. Uh-huh. What, you mean like we pop them? The, well, like, you know, I guess it's Mr. LaBelle that pops them. Yeah. Wait, are you saying that you want us to make a, a, I just a want contract the ab- with LaBelle to be able to pop our clients? I want the clients? ability to pop rich people is what it comes down to. I mean, so do I, I but not here. want the ability to just be like... <laughs> Like ketchup packets. Yeah. I mean, that's a different conversation. I would be willing to make a pact with Mr. LaBelle to be able to pop rich people, but that is separate from our family therapy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Keep business and pleasure separate. And I'm telling you, the rich people I'm going after are not going to be board game family dynasties (laughs) or dominions. (laughs) They're low on my list. Yeah. Yeah. They're probably... Not to say... I'm sure... There are really bigger fish to fry. I'm sure the Hasbro family is not... Are not all saints. Hasbro family are (laughs) war criminals. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. No, no. Nobody makes enough money without, like, you know, doing some shit that they don't get to, like, multi millionaire, billionaire status without there being some, like, heinous shit you're involved in. Whether it's just owning weapons stocks or something, like, it's still part of the apparatus of death that is capitalism. Right. Yeah, weapons manufacturers are probably going to be a little higher on the list. I mean, than most the family that made Monopoly. <laughs> most rich people are going to be higher than. Yeah, the well, I wouldn't be surprised brothers. if a literal war criminal made Monopoly because Jesus Christ, that game. No, you know the. I mean, this is an aside, but you know, Monopoly was meant to be like an anti-capitalist game, and it was completely taken the wrong way. Made by socialists. Yeah, oh, of you, course. Did you know that? Oh wait, I feel like I did know this. I mean, I, w- I don't know if they the makers would describe themselves as socialists, but it was definitely meant to be a, a, a cautionary tale against. <laughs> it, was, it was played by the syndicalists <laughs> of the Deruti column during the Spanish Civil War. Anyway, they played it as Barcelona fell. I have a question for yeah, you. What? What would you give to Mr. LaBelle, a.k.a. Satan, in order for the ability to pop... Say say you got to choose just five five people, five <laughs> okay. rich people. I was just going to say, can we can we play Fuck, Mary Pop from now on? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, five people? Five. Five free pops. Five free pops. What would you give him? <laughs> this is going to sound sick. This is going to sound like a psychopath because really as a human being, I should be saying nothing. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't want to pop people. But I feel like I could come up with a a list of five that would materially, pragmatically improve the world. Yeah. So 
I mean, what are my limits? <laughs> what what am I not allowed to offer him? I mean, I, I would say like what what is the highest price you would be willing to pay for five pops? I mean, it can't be money because I don't have any. Yeah. Well, and Satan doesn't give a shit about money. Oh, yeah. Would I have to like, would it be like a thing where I'd have to get someone to fall in love with me and then like sacrifice them and then I get the ability to pop? That's where you go? I'm like, oh, I'll give you an arm. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. An arm. For I just, sure, no, I just okay. didn't realize that it was, again, I don't know what Satan accepts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is Satan's currency? I mean, is he like jigsaw? Does he want like, you to learn a lesson? I'm not giving up my soul. You know, because that feels like that's an eternal ask. Here's the thing. I don't believe in souls, but like if they are real, I want mine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just in case. uh, Hang on to it just in case. Yeah. I I don't think it's a real thing. But if if you tell me it is, like if you want mine, here's what I'm saying. Anyone that wants to make a deal with me for my soul, I feel like they know something I don't know. And I'm going to keep it. No souls. But no. But I'm just thinking like this LaBelle's whole MO here. Is you know he wants people to fall in love with somebody and then he then gets them sacrificed. I don't know. Yeah, also, that'd be tough. I don't think he's gonna be giving people the ability to pop. I feel like he'd be too afraid that you'd pop him. You can't pop Satan. Uh, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't know how popping powers work, but I feel like if he's not gonna give you one, it's gonna be because he's afraid that you're gonna pop him. Oh, so what you're going for is you're going for the like what are you I have, chicken? I have. You're made- going for the. <laughs> The schoolyard way of get bullying Satan into giving you pop powers. Yeah. Well, you think I'm going to pop you? Why would <laughs> oh, I pop I thought, you? I thought you were too powerful. If I can't pop you, why are you so afraid of me being able to pop? Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing: I would pop him like immediately. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. Get out of town. You teach me how to pop. I'm not going to let you be around in the world knowing how to pop too. <laughs> you might pop me someday. This is how arms races work. Wow, you are part of the problem. I'm only human, baby. Okay, you know what? That's fair. <laughs> We're all just a Ladomus waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. We're just one sacrifice of somebody we love away from being at yeah. the right hand of Satan. For sure. All right, so... I think we... Did we do it? Sure, why yeah, not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. We fixed the Ladomuses. <laughs> Since we do this once a year, we've lined up a number of other families to do that we're mm-hmm. going to take on next week and the weeks after. So stay tuned because we have a lot of therapy to do. Oh, yeah. But in the meantime, we solved the Ladomas's problem and we can take a break for a little while, right? For like a week? We can take a week oh, off? Yeah, I mean, I was like, are you? Are we taking another couple weeks off? No, no, no we're just a week. coming back next yeah. week. Yeah. But we need a week to collect Look, ourselves. The holidays are busy. We're going to have to deal with a lot of families. Right. So. And this isn't easy work. No. You know? No. So we got more stuff coming up. So. We will be doing family therapy next week. More family therapy. If we're therapy. still alive. And until then, bye. Good luck. TTFN. <laughs>